0: We put Ghana first. And this morning we'll be hearing uh, Suleiman Abrahima, uh, Executive Director, Media Foundation for West Africa. Messi Labi, Deputy Commissioner, Commission on Human Rights and Administrative Justice, Shraj. Mary Awalana Ada, Programs Manager, Ghana Integrity Initiative, the GII. Kofi Bento lawyer and senior vice president, Imani Africa, Dr. John Osai Kwapong, political scientist, democracy and development fellow, CDD Ghana, and Professor Kwesi Ening, Director, Faculty of Academic Affairs and Research, Kofi Annan International Peacekeeping Training Center. Before I bring on my guests, let's, uh, before I do that, you know, Audrey's uh, lecture, I saw a lot of references attributed to you, and that tells me that uh, you are the Media Foundation for West Africa, obviously. You are doing a very great job. You were there.
1: Yes, I was there, and it was um, an absolute privilege to be there, to see what was a crowning moment for an intellectual scholar who has incidentally also played a very critical role in my life. Um, Audrey taught me and was ultimately my principal supervisor for my MPhil dissertation and she took a particular interest in me um, including facilitating um, a seven month um, study in in Canada at the University of Manitoba and uh, I think at some point I had to literally be playing hide and seek with her because her primary Push was that I should just continue to do my PhD mm. at the time, okay. uh, because she 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 showed so much commitment in having me in academia, uh, and it's sad that I haven't been able to adhere to that. And uh, <laughs> I, I would want to promise here that right. I I wouldn't want to continue to disappoint him. Maybe at some point I would I would take that. Mm. But let me add my voice voice to the congratulatory messages that have come in. I think this is an extraordinary woman. This is somebody who is a champion for press freedom, not just here in Ghana, Without across Africa and around the world. Um, I've been to several conferences with her around the world and her voice on press freedom, freedom of expression, independent journalism has always stood out. Mm. And uh, I'm delighted that um, she's gotten to this level of her career and still very strong. Yeah, I believe that those who... Uh, are not too familiar with her, would be surprised that, mm-hmm. oh, how is she sister? Yeah. Uh, how come she's retired? Right. And that should mean that we still have a lot to take uh, from her. And yeah. I look forward to uh, continuous engagement with Professor Agajem.
0: Imagine the media landscape in Ghana without her. And if you have come to know her contribution to what we have now, you will recognize their applause. They were so genuine. So loud, so sustained, never heard that even at a presidential inauguration. Anyway, um, let me get to the issues we have to discuss uh, this morning. Uh, my other guest, anybody want to say anything briefly in a minute about um, the distinguished Professor Audrey Gajepo, who has taken the gown to town uh, as a scholar activist? Yes, um. Mary, uh, Messi, or Kofi Bento, anyone? One minute. Hello, Mary.
2: Yes, um, I'm having trouble with my We can hear camera, you now. I'm sorting it out. We but can hear you now. To say, mm. Just to say, yeah. Just to say that uh, Professor Audrey has been a phenomenal woman. Uh, she is part of the initiation of that organization we call the Ghana Integrity Initiative today. She's one of the front best and she's done so much At the point she was the vice for the board. She became the chair of the board and served until recently when she thought she had served her views. Uh, She's a woman who is uh, really in the forefront, who has done a lot, not just in the media space, but also in the governance and anti-corruption space. We have learned so much from her. And we are very proud that today she is a full professor. Mm. Even though she's retired, she's still very active and some of us look up to her to learn a lot more right. as we progress in. Thank you uh, very much. To, Thank you. We uh, congratulate Dr. her.
0: Right, Dr. John Osai, Kwapong, um, CDD, Professor Audrey Gajepo is there as well. Not only on the GII. What do you say briefly in a minute?
3: Yes. I. Good morning, something. Good morning, everybody. Um, she. She. She is amazing. I remember. Being in secondary school and reading uh, her, her editorials uh, in the newspaper, so you can imagine my excitement when I met her face to face for the first time uh, in in twenty in twenty fifteen. But um, the, she she's just been amazing, there is not enough good words to to say
0: about Professor Gajaku. Thank you very much, Kofi um, Bento. Okay, yes. Uh, Hello. Madam Madam Labi, do you want to say something briefly?
4: Yes, Samson. Good morning, Samson. Good morning. Yeah, I just want to congratulate her for the where he has reached. I think he is a beacon to women and we women should take some cream from where he has reached. Just All to right. congratulate her.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, anyone else wants to say something? Some thirty minutes, uh, thirty seconds. I said thirty minutes. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you also very much. Now um, let's. Uh, um, yes, Professor Kosienin, I can leave you out. What do you want to say briefly?
5: Well, I think we are talking about a unique individual, an academic activist who has managed to fuse. The theory with the practice, a frontline activist who says it, an and has contributed immensely both to the reestablishment of democracy in this country, the training of the next generation of scholars, and mentoring people, and sitting on the Kobio border, being sort of preparing for elections. You sense the passion the desire to bring our democracy to the next level. level. So this is a unique individual um, that we are talking about, to a unique in, individual, mm. highly worthy of admiration.
0: Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Professor Kwesi Enin. Now, let's uh, listen to President Nana Adodankwa Akufwado, he spoke, made a broadcast to the nation uh, about uh, the 30th you know, anniversary of the adoption of the constitution, the referendum that led to the adoption of the constitution 1992. Uh, of course, we will certainly be having supposedly, as I understand, a great celebration of that anniversary next year. Let's hear the president and a few others who have some comments on the back of his broadcast.
6: Fellow Ghanaians, one primary goal of the Constitution was to decentralize the structure of governance in Ghana so the government would be brought closer to the people. One fundamental barrier to the realization of this goal has to do with the ramifications of Article 55, Clause 3 of the Constitution, which currently bars political parties from involvement in district assembly elections and local government. The attempt I made in 2019 to repeal this provision and allow for the participation of political parties in local government was aborted because of the lack of a broad national consensus when the opposition MDC signaled its inability to back the repeal. It was and continues to be my view that the repeal or modification of an entrenched clause of the Constitution should attract widespread support to make it acceptable and healthy for the body politic. We should further bear in mind the strong attachment of the Ghanaian people to multi-party democratic elections. On the average, the turnout for national elections in the Fourth Republic has been 72%, one of the highest in the world, whilst the turnout for the allegedly non-partisan local government elections has always hovered around 30%. I've said it before, and I'll repeat it. I will continue to work for an extensive national consensus on this issue. And should such a consensus be attained for the repeal of Article 55, Clause 3 of the Constitution and an agreement reached for political parties to participate in and sponsor candidates for election to district assemblies, at any point during my remaining tenure of office as President of the Republic, the matter will be brought back again to the front burner of our public discourse for the necessary action. We've had five presidents in the history of the Fourth Republic with peaceful transfers of power from a governing to an opposition party on three separate occasions. Even when there was disagreement with the outcome of an election, it was the Supreme Court on two occasions rather than the streets that validated its result. We are arguably the most stable democracy in West Africa. On this day, the 30th anniversary of the referendum, whose votes ushered in the Fourth Republic, I urge all of us to renew trust in our democracy and bear in mind at all times the off-sighted statement that the price of liberty is eternal vigilance I say so because there are some who for their own parochial and selfish interests would want to see a return to the dark days of authoritarian rule simply because with no respect for the Ghanaian people they are either unwilling to subject themselves or their vision to the open scrutiny of the Ghanaian people
0: And that is the president. Um, he spoke on Thursday. Now, there have been some reactions to portions of the president's uh, speech or broadcast, uh, particularly uh, what we have focused on a bit, and his assertion that democracy has been good. Let me begin with uh, Professor. Um, Dr. Sai Kwapong, who at the CDD you have done quite some work in this area, Um, first tell us very briefly what you have to say about the Constitution 30 years on before we ask the question whether or not it has been good, it has been beneficial. At the CDD, you have uh, been repeating the refrain that democracy is not delivering the dividends to the people
3: yes thank you uh samson so i think you uh, i think everyone would cherish the transition we made um, to uh, to democracy right that um, we all would cherish the prized you know freedoms that came with it the opening of the uh, of the of the political of the political space uh, you know more participation um, the opening of the media space all of those things that came with uh, the transition to democracy and the coming into the force of the 1992 constitution, um, there are things that we can all look at and, um, and, and appreciate uh, some of the steps that we're taking to move us uh, into into that direction. I think we will have to look at a much broader balanced sheet. Um, so that's my initial reaction, which is uh, yes, I'm, I'm grateful for the 1992 constitution. Um, I know it has its own challenges. I know um, others have pointed to certain things that can be strengthened about not just even the design, but how we put into practice some of those uh, constitutional uh, provisions. But beyond that, then comes the question of, after 30 years of its creation, what has it been delivering? And how do we look at the broader balance sheet in terms of not just whether democracy has been good for us, but as I rephrased the question after the President's um, um, short reflection, how good has it been for us? Okay.
0: When at the CDD you say that democracy is not delivering its dividends to the people, what do you mean? And how do you situate that within the statement that democracy has been good for Ghana?
3: So, you know, I um, I never make my submissions without turning our attention to um, data from the Afrobarometer survey because I think it's the most authoritative and most comprehensive survey that captures the voice uh, of the people. Their tagline is, um, let the people have their say. So when, you know, as I've been reflecting over this question of the dividends of democracy, um, I, I, I classify the delivery of, dividends into three main categories, right? That democracy is a means to an end, and it has to deliver what I call political goods. Um, it has to deliver certain social goods, and it also has to deliver certain economic goods as well. So if you look at our barometer, um, there are certain things around certain basic freedoms, uh, freedom to say what you think, who to choose, uh, who to vote for, freedom to join any organization. On that score. Um, over eight rounds of the survey, the people's um, verdict is that we are—you know—we are, you know, are delivering, right? Yes, um, there's been some challenges sometimes in terms of the consequences of having expressed some of those freedoms, whether it's within the media space or things that people have said um, in, in, in public discourse. But generally, if you look at those political groups, almost about seven out of ten Ghanaians would say that. Democracy has been good for us in those basic uh, in those basic freedoms. But then on the question of uh, equality, how people are treated is one of the things that I look at as a subset of those political goods. And there on average, no more than three out of 10 Ghanaians would agree that people are never treated on equal. So whilst we're delivering on certain basic freedoms, there are questions about, Um, the equal treatment um, of of individuals under the Constitution. If you move to what I classify as social goods, so Afrobarometer asks things about how well is government handling things like reducing crime, improving basic health services, education, household water, infrastructure. So there you would see that The government government over the eight rounds scored generally well, right? Uh, Particularly in addressing education needs and improving basic health services. Still not perfect, but it is in those areas that if we throw it into the balance sheet, you would see generally an appreciation that this transition to democracy is delivering certain dividends um, around those social goods, even though they still hover um, uh, around the 50%. 50%. The main challenge that we continue to face is on the delivery of of economic dividends, particularly in job creation. It's the number one problem that Ghanaians allude. In the Afrobarometer survey. And it's the area that also receives one of the lowest approvals um, uh, over, the, over the rounds of the survey. And then uh, narrowing the gaps between the rich and the poor, right? Uh, still hovers around 30%. The president, in his speech, talked about some of the challenges. And one of the things he mentioned is corruption. So if you look at fighting corruption, uh the people's verdict an average only four out of ten rate government's performance in fighting corruption uh very well yes it's seen a change of about plus six over the years so again my bigger point is that i think when we make the categorical statements that democracy has been good for us we need to start dissecting it and looking at the broader balance sheet to ask which areas has it been good for us which areas are the dividends still not showing and how do we begin to recognize some of those challenges and how we address uh, mm. those those challenges. But I think it's it's come with its classes, but it also come with uh, its challenges, which even the president himself acknowledged that there's still work to be done right. uh, in this area of how well we want democracy to deliver. In a
0: minute, what would be your reaction to his feeling that the democracy is threatened and that we should not allow that he actually suggests that there are those who are afraid that they cannot secure power through the democratic arrangement, and they are the ones who are interested in the back door is that our reality today in ghana
3: i think certain certain comments that have been um, made in the public spaces and then, if we look at what has been happening in the sub-region around us, and then if you also look at some of the global reports that talks about uh, the decline in satisfaction with democracy, right? That I can see why there is that concern about um, being vigilant and staying, you know, staying on course, right? Uh, but you know, do I really? Do I really think that there is a concerted effort by some to really torpedo this this journey that we've been on since 1992? I don't think so, and I hope not. Um, And I even hope that even if there are disenchanted voices, I think those disenchanted voices are not necessarily about changing the course to a non-democratic path. I think the disenchanted voices are more about how do we make sure that this democracy that we all, quote unquote, all embrace, mm-hmm. delivers the things that it has promised? Will you be emphatic that
0: areas? he's? Will you be emphatic that he's out of touch with the reality now when he says that there are people, particularly opposition, who feel they cannot gain access to power through the democratic arrangement and therefore want to use, you know. Uh, Cool. Yeah, I I, I honestly don't think that that reflects the. I don't think that reflects the reality. Um, All right, Uh, thank you. Let's uh, hear from uh, Mary Awalana Ada. Um, What do you say? The democracy has been good. Thirty years on, Um, we're looking at the Constitution, nineteen ninety-two, at least. Hello, Mary. Please unmute. OK. Um, Something was it for me. We can hear you.
2: Great. So for me, my general impressions to add on to what's uh, Professor Kwapong has spoken to. Uh, the President's statements are factual. It is a fact that after 30 years, this is the best we have gone uh, in our democratic uh, journey. And so it is good that he is calling on all of us to prefer and stay on course focus, course, uh, to prefer the rule of the term to the rule of the gun. I believe if we are carrying out a survey out there right now, everybody would prefer that we are in a democracy. It is not for nothing that we say it is called Kabimabi Kabi. Uh, when we have the opportunity to. Unfortunate. Uh, um...
0: Mary's uh, connection doesn't appear to be as helpful. Um, maybe... Um, okay. Yes, yes, you are back. Hello, Mary. Okay. Um, let's hear from Mercy. Mercy Labi is Deputy Commissioner, Commission on Human Rights and Administrative Justice, Schrage. Um At SRAGE, from your perspective, it's been good so far. Yet it is threatened.
4: Yeah, saying Thank you once again for giving me this opportunity. Uh, with democracy, I say that um, it's good, even though we may have the bad aspect of it, as Professor Capone has enumerated. For me, I remember very well when I was very young, when we were voting for the referendum and we didn't know anything, I was just to go go and vote for yes. And I went there and I voted for yes. I actually didn't appreciate some of the things that was there at that time because I was very young. But growing up, you've seen that uh, the constitution has helped the country very much. Coming from the human rights perspective, I see that, we have something we called right to participation and right to choose your uh, leaders you have the right to participate in decision making we have had that for over 30 years and i think it has been good that's by the fact that we have some one or two issues with the constitution uh leading to the fact that there was a reconciliation committee set up to look at the constitution so it has been good, all right, but we have to look at one or two things that we think we should do. Um, what do I call reform on it? Thank you.
0: Mm. Do you do you share the view that it is under threat?
4: Well, um, saying it it's under threat, uh, I would not. Be much of uh, what do I say to agree to that? But the issue is that people are talking. A lot of Ghanaians are talking about the reforms that we need to um, do on the the constitution. We have a lot, a whole lot of issues that has been raised that we have to look at it. there reach. Ghanaians like voting, especially when you come to election year. You see the way people are interested in voting, the way people participate in all that. So we are interested in voting. And saying it, as it is under threat, I think we have to um, consider that statement again. Oh. We should not put some, some of these things in the minds of other people to take advantage of it.
0: Thank OK. You. And um, Professor Kosienin, what's your reality?
5: Hi. Um, democracy has been good to Ghana. I think we need to historicize this particular statement and then tie it in to a supplementary statement, I think, that came about the threat to democracy. And the particular and the usage of a particular word sabotage. So let me try to historicize democracy has been good to Ghana. For those of us, I think I heard Mary talk about taking part in the referendum, and she was young. I think for those who went through the uncertainties of the seventies, leading the extreme violence of the 1980s, the insecurities around education, health, food security, if we compare that to where we are now. Then the superficial conclusion is that at least the freedom from fear has almost been extinguished The freedom from want is largely dealt with. Nevertheless, there are veritable challenges increasingly becoming intractable. One relates to the issue of employment generally and the panoply of Interventions that have been made targeting employment generally but also the youth in particular, of which you know, the conclusions as to be accepted or otherwise is still up in the air. For me, democracy has been good to Ghana, the challenged and undermined by two things, or two other developments. One relates to the near acceptance of violence as a legitimate tool in undertaking our democratic activity. And I think we've seen that just last week, where even in inter Voting process. We've seen the usage of direct physical violence and also psychological violence, threat, abuse. The second relates to what I think Professor Papon mentioned in the two areas and the two other speakers about the perception of corruption undermining and threatening the. Democracy's ability to deliver, you know, the public service that we all expect, and there lies another major challenge. That is the nexus between the flowery campaign promises when politicians seek power and the actual capacity to deliver. And I've just been reading Manasseh's book the last couple of days on the fourth floor. And in that, he clearly demonstrates the inability of our politicians to look at us in the face and tell us what they can factually deliver. So, Sam Siddip, I want to turn this in to the question that you asked. I think, Mr. Kapurmo. About democracy being threatened, that threat is coming not so much from the external environment, which is insecure. I mean, you know what is happening in the Sahel and it's really coming down south. but the behaviour and the transfer of the political class, that the actions and inactions of the elite themselves contribute creating this enabling environment that can come to threaten the democracy. My final point relates to the usage of the word saboteur. Who is a saboteur and what are the processes and mechanisms through which individuals or groups seek to sabotage something? And in the context of our conversations this morning, our democratic, you know, formal form of government. If you use political violence or you deliberately recruit, encourage, um, give false official uniforms to people who don't need or who don't have the right to have those things, and they use that access to intimidate other people, Then you become a subject. When you need to build a road, and Manasseh's book tells us about the exponential growth in the cost of building a kilometer of road in the country and the quality of that road. If you don't build that road to the tune of about $1.6 million per kilometer, and after two years, there are potholes, that leads to accidents, that leads to death. And injury, then you are a a saboteur. So the spectrum of potential saboteurs, whose actions and inactions threaten our democracy, is a long one. Mm. And more often than not, we don't see the individual actions of commission and and commission as threatening our democracy. As much as we rejoice in the ability to be able to have these uh, critical discussions with you, and we are not looking over our shoulders, we need also to be conscious of the fact that there are certain actions that are beginning to threaten, undermine, and if we don't reverse it, it could be, you know, catastrophic
0: right and uh, talking about the question of employment and inequalities in uh, matters particularly people's you know economic well-being um, i think we have a problem which is largely an africa-wide problem um you, you know the african leaders they meet at au and they agree to what you find in our own constitution article 36 36 1 E. It says that the state shall take all necessary action to ensure that the national economy is managed in such a manner as to maximize the rate of economic development and to secure the max, maximum welfare, freedom, and happiness of every person in Ghana and to provide adequate means of livelihood and suitable employment and public assistance to the needy then in clause two it says the state shall in particular take all necessary steps to establish a sound and healthy economy whose underlining principles shall include and i go to the e i'm referring to that they all agree the recognition that the most secure democracy is the one that assures the basic necessities of life for its people As a fundamental duty, whether Africa has delivered this, is uh, the jury is out there. And this week I was at a a forum where I was making a contribution and referring to, for example, the integration agenda, how we like to be in our small corners and be happy that we are doing well. In Europe, inter, you know, inter-European trade, trading amongst themselves, 60%, according to a research, shows that they do that, 60% of their goods and everything, they trade it within among themselves. In North America, 40% of that. When you come to Africa, which is the most resource rich, we're doing only 13% of that. Yes, so Sule, obviously that's the reason Ukraine and Russia are sneezing and we are catching cold <laughs> right so what do you say what's your verdict of uh, what we have done so far in 30 years well um,
1: Samson I would want to start by saying that we were recently told that our population is around uh, 30 million now the majority of these 30 million people would be 40 or below and what that means is that Those who are 40, at the time this constitution came into being, they were just about 10 years old. In fact, during the referendum, I was not qualified to vote because I wasn't 18 then. For many of these people, those who were fortunate to have their parents educated somehow, they were growing up seeing their parents in all forms of jobs and then retiring as they grew. And those whose parents were not educated like me the idea was that, well, we see our fellows' children haven't gone to school and are working to take care of their parents and so on. And so we are motivated to try our best to get our children into school. So for many of these, majority of, you know, the 30 million people, they have lived through this last 30 years. And the question, apart from the narratives we hear, about what happened in the 70s, how people were being brutalized, how human rights was, you know, being repressed, and so on and so forth. The, what we have lived in is what we have witnessed over the last 30 years. And the question, therefore, is: Is this the best that we can have, or there could have been a better alternative? Now, yes, we all love democracy. Um, and it is not because we love the word democracy or we hate the men in uniform that we were told captured our country for a long period of time. We love democracy because we are told it is a government of the people for the people and by the people. So folks who are growing seeing their parents employed and all of that now living in a government of democracy with no employment, inequality rising, we see how profligate, you know, leaders are living whilst others are suffering. I believe there would be that constant question about: Are we in a democracy or in some form of a government? Because if we are in a democracy, the constitutional provisions, such as the ones that you just read about how to administer the national resources to the benefit of all, and all of that, must be adhered to. Is that what we are seeing? And so. I would say, yes, on the basis of what those of us who are within our 40s and less than 40s, and then our lives have been in this particular enterprise over the last 30 years, based on what we've read, I think that democracy has been good. But for many, the question would be, is being good for who and how? And that is why I think the president's point about you know democracy is strengthened uh, is, is a valid point, but we need to look at why. And for me, the reasons are not far-fetched. First of all, we see our democratic institutions getting weaker rather than stronger. We see people losing confidence and trust in our democratic structures rather than building confidence and trust in these structures. If you were to ask so many people on the, on the streets, people would tell you we are tired of this NDC MPP business. If you ask people about the judiciary, increasingly people are having less confidence and trust in the judiciary. And it is the same for parliament. So if this is the kind of situation we find ourselves in, then, of course, we should be concerned that our democracy is increasingly being threatened. And, of course, Professor Henin talked about you a know, Tagri in our politics in the last elections eight or so people killed as a result of their you know interest in taking part in the democratic processes we see the extent of money the monetization of our politics we see the extent to which it takes just the appointment of the president not your qualification not your competence not your skills but the appointment by the president to all of a sudden, become wealthy. And I believe that the president should also be concerned about these. And he is better placed to write many of these than a lot of us, yeah. even though we all have a collective responsibility. And so, you know, if we hear about almost $3 billion going into corruption, $3 billion going into corruption every year, and yet we have national service personnel who are not being paid for months of less than 600 Ghana CDs a month. We have you know, um, contracts that we all know are cooked and figures inflated. And yet we have young people recruited into uh, things like NAPCO and so on. And they go on for months without pay. We have you know, young people who are struggling. And last week or so you read to all of us. The allowances and the fat salaries and so on and so forth that people are earning. This is not sustainable. And I think that, as the president said, it is good that he recognizes it. And I believe that steps must be taken to begin to improve the structures that will serve as the pillars for our democracy. Otherwise, what
0: we have now, Certainly, it's not sustainable, but, of course, better than going back to the military era. Um, Mary joins us back. And, uh, Mary, whilst um, people have a legitimate uh, right to uh, complain about, you know, the thuggery, the violence that people may suffer at elections, and like Sule just referred to somebody doing work and being paid inconvenience allowance, which you, you can't appreciate why they are being paid an inconvenience allowance for the work they are doing, and 500 cities uh, you know, a day, inconvenience allowance. People have a right to complain about all of these. People have a legitimate concern. When they say that we see a group of politicians come into power, they come mostly poor. By the time they are exiting, they are filthy rich, and we know that their salaries cannot afford that. And then at the next election cycle, another group comes in, and then we can tell that they are simply enriching themselves. While people can complain about all of that, we cannot take it away from ourselves that for 30 years we have done a great job, and we are the envy of our peers uh, in Africa, right?
2: certainly you know in the land of the blind the one-eyed man is king and most definitely uh, you know in the local parlance, they say this, this and, and and that is clearly a uh, situation in ghana we we see that this um sub region is bedeviled by a lot of conflicts there are a lot of uh tyr- tyrannic rule going on there And so you do not see the growth. Human rights are suppressed. And so for most of the nations in our sub-region, when they come to Ghana, they believe we are the shining light because we have all the great uh, laws. We have institutions that are set up to ensure that we are affecting or affecting the democracy we have chosen to pursue. Unfortunately, that is our reality today. But let us ask ourselves, as individuals, if you were born 30 years ago, the normal thing you would want to see in the growth cycle would be that by now you should, if you have not done a PhD, if you decided to pursue an academic career, you should be gainfully employed and you should be earning a living for yourself. If you are interested in getting married, you should be marrying. And so for us, uh, it is the situation of the one-eyed man leading the pack of the blind uh, because we do not see any growth. As Sule enumerated, we see a lot of unemployment happening. We see uh, unemployed graduates. In fact, now we have associations of them. Unfortunately, we have not Uh, pave the way for the private sector to be the engine of growth that it is supposed to be, to be able to either recruit, engage, or to activate the processes for these youth who come out of our schools to then do something for themselves to earn a living. We have seen that corruption has taken away the benefits of the national cake from all of us. And as you clearly indicated, we see on a daily basis people we have gone to school with, people who are teachers. I am not belittling teachers, someone. And so people who are honorary teachers, and our current president has told us that if you want to be rich, uh, you, you shouldn't teach to wait. I think that is what he, he wanted to say. And so if people who are just teachers in their communities come to parliament or become ministers, and in the space of four years, they are able to build houses to drive in the big cars and to show wealth, then it is not surprising that people are complaining. And let us be uh, very cautious of the freedom we continue to tout ourselves of having because it's not something that we can keep if we do not work towards it. If we continue to increase unemployment with people having no hope, of securing jobs and providing a living for themselves. If we continue to perpetuate corruption and people find out or realize that there is no other way but to take other steps, then we are living in a dangerous setting where it could blow off and we would all be in serious trouble. If you look at the analysis Professor Kwakwan did on the Afrobarometer, when you take the... Uh, various surveys that have been done by Transparency International and has. You take the Corruption Perception Index. The picture out there is not clear. And even when you say we are doing well, in Africa, we are far from doing well. In in the last uh, run of survey, I think we were 9 or so, and that is not doing well. Mm. Other countries have gone ahead of us. They are performing better when it comes to the indicators of good governance and when it comes to anti corruption, particularly. So, we are not the shining light when it comes to the whole sector of the, uh, the governance space. And so, we must sit, uh, we must reflect as a people, and we must begin to see how we enforce some of the processes we have put in place to ensure that people who come into political office do not see it as a venture. Of making money, but then see it as public service. They serve the people and go. Mm-hmm. And let me conclude by saying that when the president indicated that it is time for us to reflect on whether we need to change the constitution to suit us as a people, uh, he was very he, he conveniently cited. Some areas where it didn't go well in the last four years. Yes, sir. Uh, we, we,
0: we, we will get to that specific uh, portion shortly. Uh, thank Great. you very much. You have been watching and listening to News File. This is your most authoritative news analysis platform. And my guests are Suleiman Abraim, my executive director, Media Foundation for West Africa. Messi Labi, deputy uh, commissioner of SRAJ mary awalana ada you just heard a programs manager ghana integrity initiative dr john osai kwapong is political scientist democracy and development fellow at cdd ghana and professor christianin director faculty of academic affairs and research Kofi Annan international peacekeeping training center we'll take a quick break we'll return to check if the president is it's being truthful, I should say, when he says there's no consensus on the issue of voting for your local heads. I mean, NMDC We'll be right back.
7: So, my eyes behind the PC problem, in the sun problem, come on, light bulb self. This no matter, I Eh? I beg, go Robert and Sons. Oh, yeah, then my cheek to him, I know, correct, crap. Where Robert and Sons sort them out, sharp. Now, so, so stylish frames in the wrong. (laughs) We go, go Robert (laughs) and Sons. right? No, I was sitting inside proper. For over 25 years, Robert & Sons continues to provide specialist eye care for both adults and children. Locators at Adabaka, Adenta, Kumasi, Usudangwa, Tema, Weja, and East Legon. Call 50 151 Robert & Sons,
2: seeing is believing.
7: Discover the secret of Alphabet City, a modern gated community with bright and spacious 2-3 two- bedroom apartment unit situated in a stellar location at Sakumonok. Each apartment block is equipped with elevator, fitted kitchen and elegant bathroom fixtures an interest-free payment plan of up to five years or a mortgage financing of up to 20 years to secure your dream home now. There is nothing more than a secure home. Invest in Alphabet City today for a guaranteed returns on your income property investment. Call us now on 024-011-1119 or 50 44 99 Alphabet City, the A... Find The skincare you deserve. True. My name is Mohammed Nuruddin in Kumasi, and this is Joy News. Independent, fearless, and credible.
4: News is so central to our lives. Here are joy news. The fact that we have reporters across the country telling stories about the communities and the people is a unique advantage. As a striking agency to write about those underreported stories, I believe that... a key part of our job is to make clearer the muffled voices in our
2: society. we buy 50 but now it's 80
4: Recently, the Ghana Water Company says we may import water if we don't do the right things. But yes, whatever the Ghana Water uh, Company Limited is saying is, is the correct picture. My name is Aisha Bayin.
0: Welcome back. This is News the so most authoritative news analysis platform brought to you by Bank of Africa's strongest group and closest partner, MTN Everywhere You Go. Ashesi University, educating ethical and entrepreneur leaders for Africa, Robert and Sans Optical Services, your comprehensive eye care service provider for 31 years. We lead properties, home is where one starts. Duroplast, where Duroplast goes, water flows. And Trasaco Fast Floor stronger faster and affordable now let's get to that portion of the statement where the president isolated one issue that needs amendments in the constitution well he says that people who have been calling for amendments yes amendments are good um where they are necessary and this is one part that he believes deserves attention we know that groups like fix the country have been calling for a total overhaul And for me, that word is not new to me. last time, the first time I heard the use of the word overhaul of the constitution was from this president when he was not president. Then we spent millions of dollars in a constitution review collating views from all over the country. The biggest socio political data that we could ever give ourselves, that has been gathering dust because of political, ideological, if there is actually ideology, I think the parties don't actually practice ideology, uh, disagreements. So, is the president right when he says there's no consensus for amending the constitution so that his promise, which he has kept for all the time that he was campaigning for president, all the three times can be affected. Is he right about it? Let's begin right here in the studio with Sule.
1: Well, Samson, um, briefly, I think that the president's statement is um, quite misleading if he s- states emphatically that there was or is no consensus on the matter of electing MMDCs. I think that there is consensus. The only difference is whether or not we should have MMDCEs elected on partisan basis or otherwise. And during the proposed referendum to amend Article 55 yes, uh, I remember the NDC at some point came out to say, well, they are opposed to it and therefore would urge their members to vote no. And um, and then, and, and they also made it clear that it wasn't because they are opposed to the whole idea of electing MMDCs. But their point was that it should be done in a non-partisan way so that people would not contest for MMDCs on the tickets of MPP, NDC, APC, and so on and so forth. And the argument they made at the time was that it would be an extension of you know, the violent scenes that we see uh, during national elections being extended to the district level. And we need some level of cohesion and all of that at the district level. For um, the president and those who were uh, um, in support of his position, the idea was that, well, we needed to vote to have uh, MMDCEs on the basis of NDC, MPP, and so on and so forth. And they went on to say that, yes, even though that may result in the fact that if you take Volta region, for example, at the moment, we would end up having DCEs who are aligned to the NDC. What that would give us is some sort of power sharing so that the whole idea that the president is too powerful, appoints almost everyone, and so on, would be diminished. So uh, there is consensus when it comes to electing our MMDCEs. Where there is no consensus is whether or not it should be done on a partisan basis or not. And I've said that, well, my view is that it shouldn't be done on a partisan basis. And on that score, if we would want to have it done in terms of elections, it's not just um, the case of Article, you know, fifty-five three. I think it's about Article two two thirty-four one, which actually makes it possible for Parliament to, you know, make an amendment because that particular provision is not an entrenched uh, provision, and for that reason, Parliament can make um, changes to that particular clause, which says that there shall be a district chief executive for every district who shall be appointed by the president. With the prior approval of not less than two-thirds of majority of members of the assembly and so once it is not an entrenched clause clause, it's just by having parliament to do it so if the president is indeed committed to the principle of having our mmdc is elected nothing stops him from making a proposal for parliament to amend article 2431, you know basically to read something like there shall be a chief executive for every district who shall be elected by qualified voters in a, in a particular district through universal adult suffrage. And there we go to have our MMDCs elected, so that we'll have them just as we have the assembly members. Because when you go around, you don't have an NDC assemblyman, MPP assemblyman, even though we know that behind the scenes, the political parties sponsor you know candidates to contest. And at the end of every uh, district assembly elections, parties are able to tell whether
0: they've lost on the ground or they are winning on and the ground. And that is breaching the law. Yeah, that's breaching the law. Yes, but the, those who say we should make it partisan say that you have already been breaching the law. Why don't you just change it so that you can continue without breaching it? Well, but
1: that—that that is to say that, well... Uh, impunity is fine. So long as you can breach the law and there, is, there are no sanctions, well, let's continue to do it. Okay. I think what is good would be to
0: say, well, we've been breaching the law. What steps can we take to prevent you know, further breach of the law? Let me go to uh, Professor Questioning And I think that, as you mentioned, that um, the NDC, like the President said, it was the NDC that uh, ensured that this um, referendum that was supposed to be done on the 17th of December 2019 was botched. Yes, that is correct. But I'm I'm sure everybody knows my views because I was your chief campaigner on this subject. And when the history comes to the rating, let me say this, that I know that the NDC had in fact agreed to what the president wanted. Some civil society organizations agreed. It was about some three weeks to the referendum that I started a campaign that turned the entire thing around. And we refer to the Constitution Reviews Commission's report, which was very clear that the framers were clear that this is not what to do. Other countries practice it without being partisan. Why can't we do the same? So, uh, Professor Kusini, the president says sometime in his presidency he's going to seek consensus and bring the matter back. When he had absolute Numbers in parliament, he couldn't do this. Is this a promise he's genuine about at a time when there is a hung parliament?
5: I'm not sure. As I said earlier, on, I mean, if we analyze the utterances, statements, discourses of politicians in Ghana and the factual delivery of what they promised then the result does not look very promising. So on the, on the basis of the historical trajectory, I'm taking into consideration that by mid-next year, the elections or the preparations for the elections will be fully blown or will be in full-blown movement. Um, it will take a trillion intervention by the president to get it done. But if this goes
0: beyond... Prof, there's this other question being asked. He should show the commitment beyond the words. When he had absolute majority in parliament, he didn't do it because the overwhelming majority of Ghanaians said, we want to elect them, but we don't want them to be elected on MPP and DC basis. You have the power to ensure that parliament, you know, amends Article 243. You don't need us in a referendum, expensive referendum, to amend Article 35.3. So, um, if then, the view was that, well, That is what it was. And today he feels that it can only be done by consensus. He has passed, got e levy, even in this hung parliament. Why doesn't he go ahead and have it it passed rather than talking about going to get consensus? And that will be from the NDC, which is very clear that he doesn't want it this
5: way. Well, I mean, I think what it then means is that we are not going to have it. And I think that delay short to medium term is not good for deepening strengthening our democracy and what it implies at the local uh, level. When people vote directly for those who govern them at the local level, there's more demand for accountability. There's more demand for delivery of services because people do know that if you don't deliver, well, we will take you on because we made you who you are. I think one of our panelists earlier on stated this almost imperial power to appoint without any recourse to an assessment of the person's uh, capacity to deliver. So, were we to be able to hold this by partisan election? That would be keeping the democracy that we have, mm. But some part of the challenge also is that, I mean, we've heard these promises over and over and over again. When people are in opposition, position, they say one thing. When they get power, they say the other thing. You know, so the real question for me becomes what are the opportunities for the generality of the Ghanaian electorate to say, look, we want this done, and we want it done within a certain period. Because otherwise, this will become a political football. it It will keep going back and forth, back and forth, back, back hmm. and forth. I mean, this is not a thing that I follow very closely. But I do know that when when citizens have a say in those who govern them directly at the local level, there's more accountability. There's more delivery of services. I and mean, I mean, people feel as if Mm. They have a stake in who closing and by extension the performance of that is in regard. so when we to get it done mm. it will be useful it will deepen our democratic processes mm. people will feel that they have a stake in what is going on and then this fear of the threat will go away precisely because we are all part of the team
0: and, and showing the things that done. All right. Uh, Dr. Osai, Osai Kwapong, yeah, recently, the CDD, you did, you did a poll. And um, your poll got over 70%, as in I think it was 71%, of uh, Ghanaians in favor of non-partisan DCE elections. The overwhelming views of the people must be known to the president. No?
3: You're correct. Um, um, uh, uh, and, I, and I'm sure when that report was uh, was shared publicly, uh, I'm sure it made its way uh, to the President and other uh, key stakeholders uh, in, uh, in this conversation. Mm. The challenge then is, if in the mind of the President, uh, that he strongly believes that this is something that we have to do and do on a... Uh, on a partisan basis, because I think that's where the consensus broke down, right? The consensus is not so much that we don't want them elected. The question is, what format do we want um, this election to take place? Do we want it to be done on a partisan basis? Or do we want it to be done on a nonpartisan basis? The President, I... Sincerely believes that uh, this is something that has to be done uh, on a on a partisan basis. Is, is, this, is then this the question deliberate... that becomes how do you use mm. your office mm. to convince uh, mm. if you want to go the parliamentary routes that um, you suggest and I think um, um, uh, Sully. Mr. Sule also suggested? The question is I don't see a realistic path there because of the nature of the current composition of the uh of, of, of parliament and some some of the already difficulties tensions in there mm. right so then the part the other part then is a national referendum right. but given how citizens you know at least through the cd report that shows that majority want a non-partisan election the challenge for the president is how does he use uh, his office um, and his part to be able to convince citizens that they must they must do otherwise.
0: The, 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 there's a bigger question in there uh, about whether this democracy is actually what we say it is. Uh, when the overwhelming majority consistently say that this is what we want, and the person who has been voted to superintend the process says, like they say, when we're kids, you are lucky to be bought a uh, football you know, by your parents, and you take it to the field. When you are playing and things are not going well for you, you pick it, you run away. That's what the president did in the first place. And now he's still saying, if it is not my way, then there's no consensus. What kind of democracy is this? But the question I'm asking you is, m- most of his people within the party are against making it uh, non-partisan, uh, against making it you know, even partisan. Because if that is done, then, you know, some parties may get some, you know, vote somewhere and get uh, a DCE somewhere. And they feel that if it should be done, let it be done by some other leader, not through you. This is our time, let us enjoy. Pick the people, handpick them, like the Constitution empowers you, rather than give it out to the people to decide. Is, would you say that this is deliberate to keep that position so that he will appoint the DCEs uh, for all the time of his presidency,
3: well, I mean that's that's his that's his position, right? Um, and it it goes counter to public sentiment, or even as you said, it goes counter to some of the sentiments of people uh, in, in in his own party. But that is also what leadership uh, is also sometimes about, which is, are you able to convince people enough? to change their mind and change their position. Or the other way around is, is the evidence so overwhelming that um, as president, you're willing to uh, shift your your position on that. But I think for me, the president's position and what it is presenting is you can either, I think he has framed it as, you can either let us do it uh, on a partisan basis or I can continue to exercise my power uh, to appoint in the way that it is is designed. And it seems like that is the the choice that uh, is being presented. The question for the opponents then for me would be, uh, which one is, quote-unquote, the lesser of two evils? Um, Are we willing to live by the continuous appointment of these officers uh, by the President? Or are we willing to make some compromises? Uh, and 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 say that okay, maybe if the choice was between president appoints versus doing this on a partisan basis, uh, it may not be that bad doing it uh, on a uh, on a partisan basis. I particularly am of the view that um, I don't think the sky would come falling if we do this uh, on a on a partisan basis. That's that's my. That's my position. I know mm. folks have expressed concerns about what we see partisan politics do at a national level, and therefore we don't want it to seep it at a at a local uh, to the local level. But mm. I am of the opinion that the sky would not fall if we do this on a partisan uh, basis at the local level. Okay, um, Mary.
0: Mary, is is this not a point? The president's posture is it not a point to feather the argument by those uh, like uh, the likes of the Fix the Country who say we are not, we don't have a functioning democracy. That if democracy is what it's, it's we say it is, how come the president's view must hold sway against the overwhelming majority Ghanian view?
2: Unfortunately, that is the constitution we all drafted and we agreed too. Fortunately for us today, we have an opportunity to ensure that we take that. I say unfortunately because uh, reading through, you realize that the powers of the president are so, 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 so huge. Uh, He could do anything and get away with it. Uh, Is it not interesting that we say we are a democracy? Is it not interesting that we say it is democracy is the rule of the majority. But yet still, at every juncture, when the majority wants its will, then the president decides that that is not what he wants to see. And so for this argument, this is a constitutional review uh, process that went on and the proposals were made. Uh, These proposals were uh, rejected and so if whether it was by another government or whatever we know that governments are continuous and for that matter if this is done and let me quickly add that at some point there was a discussion on the whole, reviewing the whole constitution by civil society when we had interactions with the president and at that point the president mentioned that uh, reviewing the if picking up the Proposals from the Constitutional Review Commission and also the White Paper would mean that we are overhauling the whole Constitution and creating a new one. And, and for him, that was not a priority for him at the time. So it's not surprising that today his only priority in the scheme of things is that we get DCEs elected and it must be on partisan basis. Yeah, so why why my question
0: is, my question is, what do we do with that? A while ago, we were priding ourselves about our democracy. Uh in the preamble of our constitution and also in article 1 of the article 1, that's the very first article of the constitution. It says a sovereignty of Ghana, the sovereignty of Ghana. Sovereignty is, is ultimate it power. It says the sovereignty of Ghana resides in the people of Ghana in whose name and for whose welfare the powers of government are to be exercised. So, if power is in the people, how come the president is standing it, you know, the other way? And that is okay, especially in the midst of having spent uh, $6.3 million to do a constitutional review, and that is gathering dust. Power
2: is in the people, and as you have read, power that is in the people is exercised, and that exercise of the power is put in the president. And so the president is supposed to dispense of that power in the name of the people. And the people's representatives, additionally, are those that are in parliament to ensure that the will of the people is upheld. Unfortunately, that is not the case. And we do not have much of a leeway to operationalize unless we go back to the power of the term uh-huh. when elections time come the people and civil society let me say what we can do the issues around the and fix the country they occupy ghana civil society activism over time is what we can do more Our advocacy to ensure that things do not get done and uh, you as an individual i remember in the last campaign for this to pass when you pick this up and engage on the basis of facts people came to appreciate why they should not be part of this process and they refuse to be part of the process and the process truncated on its own. And so it's for us as a people to rise and be proactive, to rise and reject some of these things, not unlawfully, using all the lawful means Mm. of association and also of ensuring that the president hears that we voted for him. Uh, He needs to hear us at some point because of recent, we have seen that impunity is what we are striving from the executive to whoever is appointed, because the, the, the people have presided the power in the president, and the president has that power to appoint. And he says, and at a point he said, uh, you have your views, but I am the one the people voted for. So mm. I am the one who will be held accountable. Okay. And so when it comes to accountability, then the people would definitely be able to say that this is our verdict if you did what the people asked you to do.
0: All right. Now, let's go to uh, Mercy Labi. But uh, Mary has said that the process truncated on itself or by itself. No. Uh, the fact, as we know, is that there was an overwhelming population that was going to vote no to reject the president's proposal. And then he truncated it, denied people the opportunity to vote no, to say no to him. And now he wants a consensus to bring it back. Yes, uh, Mercy Labi, um, what will be your take on what has to be done uh, to navigate this process, where very clearly people say they want uh, DCs elected, but not on partisan basis? In fact, they have said so in the constitution review process largely. Now we say uh, we have to go for consensus
4: again. On the on the issue of partisan uh, election of this year, I think some of the panelists have been able to give us the advantages, the merits, and then the merits of either partisan or uh, non-partisan. We have to look at the issue very well. The first time when I was spoken, I thought about the, the the constitutional review, as you stated rightly, that the constitutional review was done based on the involvement of all the people in Ghana. As you have stated rightly, they went all over the country Seeking views of Ghanaians on what to be done with the, the current constitution that we have. And the last time I heard you, I have not seen a copy, but I heard you saying that we have about almost 1,000 pages of that document lying down, gathering ducks.
0: It's exactly a 1,000-page document.
4: Very well. I think it's hard time we have to go back to that document again. And look at what Ghanaian said in that document voting the, uh, the the district assembly elections when we come to terms that we want to vote for our DCs, we knew what we were saying so it's good that we vote during this it's clear that you can see uh Partisan, when they are, there is uh, this district assembly elections, even when you look at this, somebody's poster, you can easily determine where the person is coming from, the colors. though it's not partisan. But it's good that we do the election because we have a lot of allegations on corruption during this appointment of this Because they have to, uh, it's alleged that they have to pay their way through. When they come to power, they have to recoup whatever they have spent Mm. for paying their way through. So, if we are able to elect our DCs, it will reduce some of these allegations of corruption and paying uh, the delegates, campaign delegates, and other things all over to vote or uh, confirm that. President appointee, I think we should look at what Ghanaians want. And that is what we have stated in the constitutional review. And that is nonpartisan. That is my view. Oh. We should be able to look at what's all oh, because we have human rights. And as I, I said at the beginning,
0: oh.
4: right to participate in decision-making is very key. We have participated in the decision making, and our decision is that we want it to be done on nonpartisan basis. I think we have to go for that one. That is my view. We have to go for that one on okay. nonpartisan basis. All That's right. my
0: view. Okay, uh, thank you very much. And the Constitution Review Commission um, uh, said that why not? Uh, if it's done in Canada, if it's, it's done in India and other countries, the nonpartisan way. Why can we not do it? But among one of the reasons they said was that the Commission observes that the Committee of Experts, which drafted the proposals for the 1992 Constitution, noted that the nonpartisan nature of the district assemblies has the potential to facilitate the mobilization of the people at the local level and is more conducive to consensus formation, factors that are crucial to development efforts at the grassroots level. We take our break here and return to the US State Department's um, report on human rights. Are they facts, repeated facts, or not exactly a reflection of what is happening in Ghana in our media front, uh, corruption, and the judiciary? We'll be right back. (laughs)